unrelated facts or facts on the same topics that have been scattered around over many years that come out once in a while. Because only then can you put things together to get the trails of things. And that's what it boils down to. You know, the big boys who've been preparing this new world order have been at it for an awful long time. And they did write about bringing in this Fabian-type world socialist society a hundred years ago or more in their own books. And I'm going to touch on that after this break to show you how incrementally things are, but they always lay the evidence down as to where they're taking you back after these messages. Alan Watt were cutting through the matrix. Just saying how once you let your mind get used to working properly, most folks' minds don't work properly. If you've been consumed in the matrix and you've been well indoctrinated and you truly have believed that everything you're told is the absolute truth because it comes from television and you do expect the media to do your reasoning for you, as Brzezinski says, then you know you don't use your mind you don't equate things you, you expect the media to tie things together for you and that of course doesn't happen because that's not their, their job is not to tie things together to make you think their job is to get very confused and at the moment in the last for the last is 2001 their job is to has been made to make you terrified and wait for experts to come and advise you and where they're taking us all and why they must do it terror as a technique. Remember that article I keep reading, I'll do Huxley 1962 speech at Berkeley, and the audio is on my site at the, on the archive section. He says this, it seems to me that the nature of the ultimate revolution, that means that there's been many revolutions before, and he's talking on behalf of a controlling oligarchy. Which means they've been behind other revolutions before. Many of them are non-bloody, they're social and sexual and so on to transform society, to destroy that which was, to make new, the way for the way things are to become, for the new, the new society, as they often phrase it. But he says, the nature of the ultimate revolution with which we are now faced is precisely this. This is in the 60s. We are now faced. Now, he says that we are in the, we are in the process in the 1960s, right, of developing a whole series of techniques which will enable the controlling oligarchy who've always existed and presumably will always exist to get people to love their servitude. Many, many different ways to do it, and people don't think of fear as being one of them. Fear, you see, is a natural response, which you run away from that which frightens you. But when it comes from agencies and experts that you've been told uh, are much more important than you. They are the they're true experts. They're infallible. You run towards the ones that frighten you to help you and save you, thinking that they've got the ability to save you. So fear itself is a, a controlling technique. Always remember that. We are an abusive system. We live in an abusive system. And the media, once again, is the tool primarily by which the to get this message across to the public to be terrified, but don't worry, here's the experts to tell you how we'll save you. And 
This last while, mainstream media has been putting out a bunch of different articles, series. Um, I've mentioned the one from the, on weather warfare from That's Impossible that was first put up, I think, on the History Channel. And tonight I'll put up the links for the whole series and also give uh, one that put it all joined together, I think, too, an MP3 version. But remember, too, that that's, when you look at what the That's Impossible series is, it covers everything, all the, the oohs and ahs that we'll have to be enthralled by. So it's, it's mixed in amongst all the different ones, all the other series. We have got uh, life extension to, to immortality and all this stuff. And it's narrated by a guy who narrates a lot of stuff for UFOs as well. Don't forget that. But when you do see the series, what you'll, if you keep your mind open as they talk, remember, and tell you things, you will see documents from the military admitting they will control the weather. You do see documents where they admit they're already using HARP technologies to, to experiment, as they say, with the weather. And yet, after they show you these little things on the same series, they'll also say words like conspiracy theorists think. And they'll also uh, say, could this be really this blah, blah, blah. In other words, after showing you proof, they, they, they even go off into could this mean and conspiracy theorists think. You see, this is a technique and so for the average viewer who's, who knows nothing about what's really going on in the world, it's mixed up with all the other series with UFOs and, and life extension and the goal of to immortality, etc., etc. Don't forget that, that nothing's put out there as a, a court case type scenario with all of the evidence and sticks just to the evidence. Nothing. If you're sticking just to evidence and declassified information, how can you possibly be called a conspiracy theorist when you're just presenting what's been declassified by, say, the Pentagon? So always keep that in mind, that nothing's out there really to help you, even when you think it's an expose. And... And that's a key to it, too, going back to Huxley's era, because one of his good friends was another aristocrat, aristocrat from Britain, uh, and they all belonged to the same clubs. And that was Lord Bertrand Russell. And Bertrand Russell says, we are training the public to, so that they can't do anything without the opinion and advice from an expert. And that's all we get now on, on everything, experts, experts, experts. Remember, too, these are the guys who had worked in the previous centuries, these, these descendants, and had written books, too. Remember Sir Thomas Huxley, the grandfather of the Huxleys, who took up Darwinism, and they had to put the nail in the coffin, the last nail in the coffin of religion, because you couldn't have a competing religion until you tried to give another idea, it didn't matter how ridiculous it was, of the origin of man, you see. They couldn't have a church going along with a different, a different version. And in other words, they wanted people to have no choice whatsoever. So evolution must be the key, you see. And once you, you swallow that, and that's all that's taught, and you've, you've buried religion, you are the new religion. And once you're the new religion, you become the new guys who are infallible. Whatever you say is infallible, and we're supposed to jump to the tune of them. 
experts, even though their theories are constantly changing. And even though I could, I could do a series, series, many series on, on medical malpractice and what's been done to people being tested with different vaccines over a hundred odd years and longer, using data from British medical records and The Lancet and the Journal and these other medical papers. I could do lots and lots of that. They'll still come out with new theories as though they're still infallible. How could you be infallible when you've always been wrong before? And everything is built on guesses. And the guest that's been authorized to be the in-guest for the moment is the one that they all parrot. And next year, you'll be a different guest. There's now a new theory. And that will be parroted. And I'll never mention the last one. How can you be infallible when you're wrong so many times? How, how can every new drug that comes out and is touted by the media, like Prozac when it came out, it was going to be a miracle drug. It was going to cure everyone's ills. We'd all be happy. Then we get all the side effects, mothers shooting their families, etc., and these sudden uh, changes of mood to violent aggression. It took a few years before that gets into the paper as the big pharma tries to cover it all up. It doesn't stop them with the next wonder drug. And, and they can spend years and years quashing the evidence from the public. Valium was the most beautiful one of all. They tried to tell every, every woman who came in at the hospital that it was all in their mind. You're addicted psychologically to Valium. And yet in emergency centers and hospitals, they were seeing people coming in having convulsions on withdrawal from it, physical addiction. But they squashed that for 30 years, and they kept telling the doctors and training doctors and churning them out of universities saying, oh, it's all in the head, it's only a psychological addiction. Money talks, especially when a lot of money goes to training these doctors from the big pharma companies. And therefore, look, we have all of the data on things like fluoride, so much data because it goes back such a, a long, long ways, because fluoride was the first authorized, government-authorized drug to be put in water or food. First authorized Remember, in Europe, they call it medication. For medication, you often go for a prescription for your doctor. In America, they call it drugs. So it was the first authorized drugging of the water supply. It is a medicine or a drug, you see. And we do know the side effects of it. There's so much data on fluoride. Again, you could do show after show after show with the evidence. The man who came out and pushed it in Canada, the top dentist, uh, recanted after a few years when he saw it, started to see the side effects of it and the, the, the problems with bone construction. And you also see the laying down of deposits of fluoride in the tooth itself, giving these brittle points where they can break. But never mind that, we also know of the, the mental problems it causes as well because it does make people more placid. I've read articles recently where some countries are thinking of using it because of the fact that it makes the populations placid. Now, that was only maybe about two months ago I read that article mainstream again. 
They want a placid people while they make the big changes. So it's also a, a, a psychotropic drug. A mental drug, if you like. And they've been on such a roll to get this stuff, even though they have all the data on it. Plus, if you look at your toothpaste, it'll tell you how many doses of this stuff they take to brush your teeth every day. And it tells you that too many will cause an overdose of it in your system. And you're supposed to contact the poisoning center. Meanwhile, it's in your water, it's in your pop. You're being overdosed every day with this poison. So I'll get back with the story after these messages. through the matrix and talking about scientists and techniques, techniques to control people. Uh, of course, drugging them is one technique. That, that's one which uh, we find that Huxley was referring to because he did mention in another talk that uh, Big Pharma could come on board and with psychological techniques and using pharmacology, they could also make people love their servitude as well. And I was in an article from Sweden about this being tested in a school. So far they've gone. It says, uh, this is an article about the, la- the test of fluoride salt in a Swedish community. The test will take place in a school in an area with ma- mainly immigrants, mostly Muslims. Malmo is a city it takes place in, and Rosengard is an area within a city with a population of maybe 80 per 90% immigrants. And then it goes on to say this, I mean, a, quite tra- a quick translation from this, uh, this uh, Afton Blooded, I guess that's the, the newspaper, the 25th of the 5th, 2009. Malmo, it says, put salt on your food and strengthen your teeth. Teenagers in the Rosengard School in Malmo are first in Sweden to try fluoride salt with the school food. So they put it in salt form, you see, to scan around your food. Now, they're probably they're using it in their toothpaste already. To the state tooth care in Rosengard has earlier gotten attention for their success with prevention of caries amongst preschool children. Now the focus is on the teenager. Teens is a risky age for the teeth state dentists. Inger Weinhall, that's the guy who's, I guess, in charge of the whole detailed stuff. Toothbrushing is not very consistent amongst teenagers in this part of the city and shows her interviews amongst 200 volunteer patients that are part of a two-year trial. She says that very many do not brush their teeth every day. In many cases, it's only done once a week, explains so the, it says, in areas with bad tooth health, the World Health Organization recommends mountain salt with added fluoride. So it's from the World Health Organization again at the United Nations. This is where all this is coming from. So they want them to put this, scatter this on your food. And I've already mentioned that um, you can get overdosed with fluoride because it's a poison, you know. And it has warnings on, on the, the toothpaste the tubes about the amount you're supposed to consume maximum per day. It tells you over this limit uh, you should get in touch with the, uh, the medical authorities if you've gone over that limit for poison control, etc. And yet here they are experimenting once again with school children 
And it won't be just for what they're saying here, because I'm sure they've done this kind of experiment many, many times before. And it's not just for good teeth. It's always for another purpose involved. And believe you me, the school is great because they give them tests all the time to evaluate their IQ levels. And they'll probably watch them drop. That's really what the kind of things they get up to. And this article here flows right in with it because they don't all, not across Canada, do you find fluoride in the water supply? But here's, here's how it, this article here comes up. And it says here, this is, in, this is in Canada, Council says no to fluoride by Jamie Smith, uh, the Newswatch. It says, uh, City Council rode a wave of perceived public opinion early Tuesday morning, voting against a resolution to study the fluoride, fluoridation of Thunder Bay's water. That's a town just east of me. An option that would have brought the matter before citizens as a plebiscite was also turned down by a vote of 65. There was the, they don't want the public voting on it. And that truly is, uh, by the way, part of the, how they define democracy. Since we can educate people on nutrition, proper oral care, these are the steps I'm prepared to take. First said County uh, Trevor Giratuga, uh, I personally don't want fluoride in my water. Well, Giratuga said, and emails from the public were three to one against fluoridization. The mayor, Lynn Peterson, said she believes it's more like ten to one against fluoridization. Peters voted against a resolution due to environmental concerns and personal choice. Says my issue is two million pounds of fluoride being flushed through our, our system with only one percent being consumed by the public, said Peterson. The rest being flushed into the Great Lakes. Council heard deputations supporting the resolution from more than 10 public health officials from across the province. Then it lists the big experts, Chief Dental Officer for Health Canada, Dr. Peter Cooney, and Royal College of Dental Surgeons of Ontario President, Dr. Frank Stecci, all spoke at the meeting to convince Council of the benefits of fluoridated water. There's big bucks in this too, never mention that, for the big companies. These guys are all related to I sit here dumbfounded that you don't listen. Now, here's the key to it. Remember what I said before? I actually said we should be run by experts. They'll train the public to believe experts. I sit here dumbfounded that you don't listen to the experts that you hire, states you told the council. Your public health officials are telling you this. Fluoridization is the way to, the way to go. Thunder Bay District Health Unit officials have been actively campaigning to get the city's water supply fluoridated since 2007. Three officials from the health unit spoke to council regarding the safety of fluoride and the urgency in which it's needed for the local water supply. Urgency? Oh, crisis, crisis. The oral health of Thunder Bay's children is poor and it's getting worse, said the health unit's Kathy Farrell. We're well above the red flag levels for tooth decay. City administration said the matter could still be put to a plebiscite if a petition can be signed by 10% of the city's voters or about 8,600 signatures. 2000, this is the marathon meeting concluded at 2.40 a.m. And I'm going to go on from there to tell you about democracy and the plebiscite vote and how it really works. Back with more after these messages. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network because you can handle the truth.
as Alan Watt were cutting through the matrix, talking about uh, what is a plebiscite vote. Well, at least a, a plebeian vote. The plebeians basically are the commoners, the great unwashed masses. And in democracy, they're supposed to give us the ability to choose our own representatives. That's what politicians are supposed to be. Uh, they're there to represent the plebiscites, the, the people. And once in a while, in ancient times too, they would give plebiscite votes to people in ancient Greece and then eventually in Rome. But it doesn't mean they have to listen to them. Uh, technically, though, if there's enough of a percentage of votes coming in from the public, they're supposed to listen and give some lip service. A few years ago in Toronto, when the United Nations advised all the countries and all signed agreements to create super cities, that was to amalgamate all the little, little townships that grew up around major cities into one big super city. Uh, the people didn't want it. And so Toronto uh, eventually succumbed and says, OK, we'll give you the plebiscite vote. And I think 75% of all the people uh, voted against being amalgamated into Greater Toronto, a super city. But then the government came around and said, well, we don't care. We know what you said, but you're getting it anyway. And they did. So, <laughs> so much for your plebiscite vote. Because, you see, we don't really live under a kind of system in which we think we are. We're, we're allowed to think things. In fact, it's, they prefer when we have images that are false. Keeps us quiet and happy, thinking that everything's running properly. It's not until you try and use something that you find out there's a different system out there altogether than the one you thought at work. That happened in Sudbury too, when a man got a committee up amongst the citizenry to try and get the councillors who'd been voted in back out again because of all these strange policies that they'd never mentioned when they were running for candidacy that they were putting through and jacking up the taxes and all the rest of it. And I think he went all the way to the Supreme Court of Canada and he was told that under democracy, uh, the only right you have as a citizen is to vote someone in, yet that's as far as it goes, that's, that's it. There's no further you can go. That's All you have to do is vote. And you have no more rights after that. You can't vote them out till the next election. You can't get them out for lying or whatever, or because they're not representing you. There's nothing you can do at all. So that's the real system that we live under. And here's an article here, continuing with the experiments, you see, because we're all living in a big laboratory, have been a long, long time. And this is from Natural News, July 24th. Pfizer to pay tens of millions for deaths of Nigerian children in drug trial experiment. It says pharmaceutical giant Pfizer has agreed to pay $75 million to settle a class action lawsuit filed against it by Nigerian parents who claim the company caused harm to their children by using them as guinea pigs in a, a non-consensual, unlicensed drug trial. The case began in 1996 when Pfizer needed a human trial to gain approval for its new antibiotic, Troven, T-R-O-V-A-N. When an epidemic of meningitis and cholera and measles broke out in Kano, Nigeria, the company quickly put together a research team and flew them to the county, or country. Pfizer set up a tent right near the medical station where Doctors Without Borders were giving free treatments and recruited 200 children to participate in an unlicensed drug trial. Now, to, to, the, to the natives there, they thought this was part of this big bunch coming over to help them. So they put up a tent next to Doctors Without Borders. 
Parents say they were not told that the proven medications were being distributed only yards away. The, the, the real stuff by Doctors for Their Borders and that their children were being enrolled in a drug trial. They weren't told this, or that animal studies had suggested that troven could cause liver and joint damage. Eleven of the 200 children in the study died, and parents claim that others suffered brain damage, organ failure, and other severe side effects. The case broke when Pfizer researcher Juan Waterspiel, who had been scheduled to take part in the trial but was left behind, wrote a letter to Pfizer, then Chief Executive William Steer saying that the Cano study was in, in violation of ethical rules. Quite something, eh? So some of the children were in critical condition and most of them malnourished, which made oral absorption even more unpredictable, he wrote. At least one died after a single oral dose. This one dose and he died. And then other was, others died after him. And it's so strange because, you see, Canada just put out, and whenever they put out some of these big taxpayer-funded movies for, for CBC Canada. Generally, they, they, they turn out movies that nobody watches. That's the famous joke amongst Canadians. But this one was a, a two-part series on uh, a, a form of disease getting out um, from Fort Dietrich in an experiment they did to children. Remember, this is a fictional, although it goes along reality too, after reading this article, this is how it works. But a fictional um, giving out of free shot, uh, shots down in uh, Latin America and they gave out uh, smallpox and one of them escapes to Canada that kill all the rest of them the Centre for Disease Control is trying to keep it all quiet and under wraps then it ends up in some big hullabaloo in Ottawa uh, as this person who's carrying it comes into the city and uh, it's quite something they, they get used to all the terms you're going to be hearing in the future uh, uh, for, for what's, what's going to happen when they release a plague in real time. And that's what these movies are for. But it was interesting that Canada always blames the U.S. as the ones that are going to release it. And that's how this, this movie... It was called The Summit, by the way. Two-part series called The Summit. Awfully long and dragged out. Typically Canadian. Uh, but um, I did get a lot of the, the, what really does go on in the world... Because a lot of these companies for the CDC and so on will use other front pharma companies or even create a fictional one and go into some of these third world countries and test things out on children for one or two dollars each. That's where they get paid. And that's been going on for an awful long time. Interesting, too, that the Centers for Disease Control, what do you think it is? A government agency? A private agency? It's actually run by the U.S. military, and all the top officers there wear military uniforms. And, of course, it's well connected with Fort Dietrich, Maryland, where they have every disease under the sun, and a lot more that they've devised and created and mutated to be killer diseases for warfare purposes. That's why you have it in a biowarfare establishment. So we're being advised in the coming flu epidemics and so on by the military. The military runs from the top down in secrecy, need to know basis. It's not an open thing to the public. It doesn't have to answer to the public for reasons of national security. Quite something, isn't it? And just to let us know about all these different techniques they're going to use 
is one too. It's called Microwave Weapon Will Rain Pain from the Sky. This is stuff they used to put in sci-fi movies and horror movies. But it's everyday fare now as the military-industrial complex goes in a complete role with unlimited funding. Well, we're supposedly broke, mind you. It's amazing we can always get money for this and all the different uh, ideas for controlling the masses when they get a bit restless, which we will get, of course, when they start bringing down the food supply, and that will happen. <clears throat> it says here, July 2009, 23rd July, microwave weapon will rain pain from the sky, so from the new scientist. The Pentagon's enthusiasm for non-lethal crowd control weapons appears to have stepped up a gear with its decision to develop a microwave pain infliction system that can be fired from aircraft. The device is an extension of its controversial active denial system. That's like plausible deniability. They just fry you and whistle when you ask some questions like, who can do that? That's incredible. So which uses microwaves to heat the surface of the skin, creating a painful sensation with it burning that strongly motivates the target to flee. The ADS was unveiled in 2001, but it's not been deployed owing to legal issues and safety fears. Now, that's not true because they've already deployed it over in Afghanistan, and I've read the articles from the mainstream again, where they've fried people, and they were even frying them, uh, thinking it was safe at a certain distance, uh, and, and they were frying them at 200 yards. It was over 200 or 200 yards before it was a kind of non-lethal. Underneath that, you, you were fried and blinded, like permanently. It says, nevertheless, the Pentagon's Joint Non-Lethal Weapons Directorate in Quantico, Virginia, has now called for it to be upgraded. The U.S. Air Force, whose radar technology the ADS is based on, is increasing its annual funding to the system from $2 million, this is for this one thing, to $10 million. The transmitting antenna on the current system is two meters across, produces a single beam of similar width and is steered mechanically, making it cumbersome. At the heart of the new weapon will be a compact airborne antenna, which will be steered electronically and be capable of generating multiple beams, each of which can be aimed while on the move. The new antenna will be steered electronically and capable of generating multiple heat beams. This has been dogged by controversy. Jürgen Altman, a physicist at Dortmund University in Germany, showed that the microwave beams can cause serious burns at levels not far above those required to repel people. This was verified when a U.S. airman was hospitalized with second-degree burns during testing in April 2007. The airborne version will not make it any less contentious. Independent of the mode of production with the size of an antenna, the beam will show variations of intensity with distance, not just a simple decrease of up to 500 meters, says Altman. Shooting it on the move with any accuracy will be difficult, he adds. So, you know what's coming when they're going full steam ahead with all of this kind of weaponry. You know what's coming down. Now they've got a six-shooter out now for, for their taser uh, cattle prod guns. Uh, they can fire six shots in a go. So all the cops are going to get them, and the makers are actually giving them a discount to hand their old ones in to get the upgraded version so they can go wild with it and prod the people to death. It's, uh, it's quite something, isn't it? Quite something, what's really going on. And people can't get the message. He 
article here, it says government uh, monopsony distorts climate science, says SPPI. The climate industry is costing taxpayers $79 billion and counting. This is from Washington, 22nd of the 7th, 2009. The Science and Public Policy Institute announced the publication of Climate Money, a study by Joanna Nova, revealing that the federal government has a near monopoly on climate science funding. This distorts the science towards self-serving alarmism, key findings. A U.S. government has spent more than $79 billion of taxpayers' money since 1989 on policies related to climate change, including science and technology research, administration propaganda campaigns, foreign aid and tax breaks. Most of the spending was unnecessary. Despite the billions wasted, audits of the science are left to unpaid volunteers. A dedicated but largely uncoordinated grassroots movements of scientists have sprung up around the globe to test integrity of global warming theory and to compete with a lavishly funded, highly organized climate monopsony. Major errors have been exposed again and again. By the way, I've got another website here. Uh, it's, it's astonishing as to do with um, where you can go to get grants for your greening NGOs where they hand out millions and millions and billions actually in dollars uh, and how to get it and they'll even help train you how to go green and promote all of the all of the scarism to do with global warming and so on they'll show you how to do it and at the same time you can claim grant money from all these big foundations it says here carbon trading worldwide reached 126 billion dollars in 2008 banks which profit most are calling for more. Experts are predicting the carbon market will reach two to ten to ten trillion dollars in the near future. Hot air will soon be the largest single commodity traded on global exchanges. And I've already read the articles where they've set up one of the main exchanges, maybe the one through the Rothschild Bank in Switzerland. And that's why he was promoting it, naturally. Meanwhile, a distracting sideshow ExxonMobil Core is reportedly attacked for paying just 23 million to skeptics, less than a thousand of what the U.S. government spends on alarmists, and less than one five thousandth of value of carbon trading in 2008 alone. A large expenditure designed to, to prove the non-existent connection between carbon and climate has created a powerful alliance of self-serving vested interests. By pouring so much money into pushing a single scientifically baseless agenda, a government has created not an unbiased investigation, but a self-fulfilling prophecy. Of course it is. You're bringing in true believers on below board who are getting paid to be true believers. Massive funding to push the nonsense. But it must be. This won't change. As I say, if we're up to our eyes in snow, they won't change the global warming issue. Never mind the fact they've already been spraying the sky for years to, to cause weather modification and using harp as well. This summer was no summer at all. June and July was exactly the same as last year, where we get rain every darn day. And I had enough rain in the weekend for the whole annual summer fall for this area. I had the weekend alone. It's been raining every day, June, July, just like last year. While the place they used to get most rain, British Columbia, has forest fires. That's, that's what they can do when they move the jet stream. You can dry at one area, and it can create a standing wave, and just outside the standing wave, you've got nothing but rain, rain, rain. 
That's from their own research pages and st- on standing waves technology and harp. Click some. And everyone's heard about these integrated townships, integrated circuitry townships, where everything will have even your clothing and the shoes you wear and that the buildings will have chips on them so that you can find your way everywhere where they say. So they say, basically you track you through wherever you go, from one place, one county, one state to the next, one country to the next. And this is from the BBC News. Barcode replacement show-off, it says. A replacement for the black and white stripes of the traditional barcode has been outlined by U.S. researchers. Bocodes, as they are known, B-O-K-O-D-E-S, as they are known, can hold thousands of times more information than their striped cousins and can be read by a standard mobile phone camera. The 3mm diameter 0.1 inches powered tags could be used to encode nutrition information on food packaging or create new devices for playing video game. They know it's really track you, isn't it? The work will be shown off at SIGGRAPH, a conference in New Orleans next week. We think that our technology will create a new way of, of tagging. Dr. Ankit Mohan, one of the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, that's quite something, it's full military-industrial complex, MIT, it really is. Uh, researchers behind the work told BBC News. The codes currently consist of an LED covered with a tiny mask and a lens. Information is encoded in the light shining through the mask, which varies in brightness depending on which angle it is seen from. But then I'll tell you what else it can do when I come back from this break. through the matrix, reading about the new, these new little chips that take over from the standard barcodes. It says here, for traditional barcodes, you need to be a foot away at most, said Dr. Mohan. The team has shown its barcodes can be read from a distance of up to 4 meters, 12 feet, although they should theoretically work up to 20 meters, which is 60 feet. Well, if they can do 20 meters, they can do an awful lot further than that and guarantee you. It says one way of thinking about it is a long-distance barcodes. And, of course, the cops will also have the readers for all this stuff and so on. And you know where it's all going. Now, I'll go to the phones now, and there's Maggie from Texas there. Are you there, Maggie? Uh, yes, Alan. Um, you were talking about fluoride earlier, um, yep. a subject I'm very interested in. And I have just heard that um, the European court has declared that fluoride is a medicine, which is what you said, and that therefore food cannot be, uh, processed foods cannot be prepared with fluoridated water. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that in uh, the United States, at least, we, we do export to the uh, European market, and I also understand that we water down our beef and pork and chicken considerably with water, and I'm I'm thinking maybe that that might affect the trade situation. But in any event, my real question is: uh, We know that the people who are in charge of making these proclamations are the same people who want to hurt 
uh, the population with fluoride. So what do you suppose is the story behind this? What are they getting at by doing this? Is it something that will immediately affect the United States, perhaps, uh, in an adverse way, or something deeper, the kind of things you're good at rooting out? So what is your opinion? Well, first of all, they won't be taking it out of the local water supplies in, in Europe. Uh, to see themselves is to do with processed foods, and it's mainly for export. So there will be something to do with some new export category uh, or regulations for exporting and importing goods. That will be the first thing on the agenda, because obviously even people importing it into Europe with fluoride uh, has been flushed in fluoride water. Uh, they can't do that anymore, and it's going to create more, more debate perhaps within the, the, some sort of United Nations Community Association, or maybe even get it back on the card so that the experts can come back out with more evidence of why it's so good for you. It's to stir debate, I think, more than anything else. And probably they've got all their experts lined up, and then they'll say, well, it's actually better for you, or they've found new findings that actually makes you live longer or something like that. Who knows? But only time will tell in this situation. But they will never backtrack and take it out of the water supplies when it's worked so well so far. Um, yeah, well, that, that's what I assumed. That's why I was, I was wondering what the backstory might be to this. It, it would seem to throw a little impediment in the way of their march toward uh, getting everybody fluoridated, and we know that's what they want, even though in Europe at the moment they are not using fluoride. Yes. Another thing, too, it could be sent off to the GATT court, the G-A-T-T court, that makes world decisions in all trade. Mm-hmm. And uh, that'll be one of, one of the big first ones for them to come up with if they come out and say it's okay, it's, safe, it's safe to use for the world. That makes them, again, the official body for all trade and commerce. And it's a star court. You can't repeal their decisions. Oh, okay. Okay, that begins to make some sense. Thank you very much, Alan. But thanks for calling. And from Hamish and myself in Ontario, Canada, it's where it pours rain all the time these days and it's always below 60. It's good night to me, your God or your gods go with you.